Welcome to another... The official podcast of The Leaky Cauldron. The Leaky Cauldron. The Leaky Cauldron. Do you hear that, Ern? The Leaky Cauldron. Just go! You're wasting time! Welcome to Pottercast, your number one source for news, theories, discussion and interviews with people from the Potter books and films. I know a small amount myself having written the books. My name is Jakey Rowling. I am now happy to introduce your hosts, Melissa, John and Frank. Hey everybody, thanks for downloading this episode of Pottercast. We have a surprise treat for you. This is actually not a regular Pottercast, but a Potter Pundits episode, which you guys have gotten a few tastes of already. You've all been asking when they're going to be back, and I'm happy to say that we're going to be back here for a full-length episode right here. Brief housekeeping note, Leaky has been under attack the past few days from hackers making our site go down. Very uncool, but we're working on it. We'll hopefully be back up here pretty soon. But in the meantime, here's Pottercast for you, Potter Pundits. Uh, enjoy. Take it away, Travis. Alright, let's see if this is actually working here. Uh, this is our first time doing this. If you're, Yeah, look at that. We're on there. Hi, everybody. We're the Potter Pundits. Um... <laughs> And we're we're here doing our first live show, and I just spent the last uh, hour scrambling. Unfortunately, you're only going to see uh, my face and and only pictures there on the side of the handsome faces of John Granger and James Thomas, who are both with us. Hi, John and James. How are you guys doing? All right, Travis. Very good to be here, Travis. Thank you for all the hard work. Excellent. Well, I hope I hope that this goes all right for those of you watching. Now, this is our first time doing this. There are bound to be mistakes and some uh, some stumbling and that kind of thing. But we're going to talk about name meanings tonight. I'm hoping that you'll enjoy it. Uh, we'll kind of run through a, a bunch of our uh, of our favorite name meanings, I guess. And take maybe some questions from you if we've got time for that. I hope that we do. And so, and, and if we run longer than our normal half hour segment, that's, that's fine too. So, guys, how do you want to get this conversation started on name meanings? Well, uh, you guys were kind of doing some planning while I was scrambling on the technical details. So, uh, take it away from here. What do you, where do you want to start? Well, I guess, I guess we have to explain why we're going to do a show on names. What is there, um, is there any reason to believe that there, there are meanings to these names? So, I mean, for example, uh, I, in 2003 or 2002, when Hidden Key to Harry Potter came out, and I said that Harry Potter meant something, um, I was derided as being something of a moron because <laughs> Harry Potter doesn't mean Harry Potter doesn't mean anything. And the author has said she liked Harry's name and she liked Harry's first name. And there was a family on the street where she grew up that was named the Potters, <laughs> and that's how we got Harry Potter. Um, end of end of question about what Harry's name means. That struck me then, and still does, that, that as as um, silly. That to think <laughs> that that uh, the the key character in this book, whose whose characters have relatively transparent uh, name meanings and, and sometimes mm-hmm. several uh, layers of meaning, that the lead character would not have a meaningful name. I think I think uh, Rowling herself has said that she loves names. She collects them. Mm-hmm. She gets them from graveyards. She loves going through graveyards to collect names, old newspapers. And she says that some characters have had eight or nine names before she found the right one, and that naming is crucial to her. So, so I, she's being pretty careful about this. Yeah, I, I don't think we're wasting our time. Yeah. I mean, to, to go through these, uh, to go through these names and, and plumb at them and pick at them and say, you know what? What, what do we learn about that character 
by looking at their names. Yeah. The complexity and the ingenious nature of these names is it, it's amazing to me. In fact, I tried to make a list of uh, Potter names that are meaningless. Uh, I didn't get much past <laughs> Ernie McMillan. Best Ernie I could do McMillan. with Ernie McMillan was that Harold McMillan was once Prime Minister of England. But, I mean, <laughs> sometimes when a student asks me to compare the literary significance of the Potter books and the Twilight books, I, I, I'll say, let's start with the names. Yep. And I'll mention Draco Malfoy, and that'll lead you to Draconian and Dragons and Bad Faith, and you're already linked to Greek and Latin and French, and Edward Cullen, which leads you nowhere. The Twilight Scholar's got something to say, but I think but that's the, for another the, the, podcast. The, so many of the Twilight <laughs> names are, are, are Ernie McMillan names. Uh, and I think in, in Tales of Beetle the Bard, when she comes up with babbity-rabbity, yeah. she might be satirizing her own childhood <laughs> work. She said on a BBC broadcast in 2001 that as a child she wrote a story about a rabbit – and the character's name was Rabbit, and the story's <laughs> title was Rabbit. And, and I mean, never again as an adult was she called a rabbit a, a rabbit, at least not in the same language. So we get, we get Remus and Lupin, but not Wolf. We get Veritas Serum, but not Truth Serum. And I think she just gets better and better. I mean, the difference between the put-outer and the deluminator, yeah, for example, yeah, yeah. illustrates how she changes. And the world was waiting for the name Xenophilius. Xenophobia, <laughs> <laughs> we... We had to have a Xenophilius. Which is one of, one of my favorite names. I'll do just one of my favorites right off the bat because, I mean, Xenophilius means loving what is strange, and his last name is Love Good. So, loving what is strange, loving what is good, it all just kind of meshes together, and there's a double love in his name, and, and it's fascinating. Uh, well, it's, it is, it's also, Xenophilius also is a, is a word for hospitality. Right. It's your oh, kindness, yeah. kindness to strangers. And in the key scene that Xenophilius is in, <laughs> That's his failing. He struggles with that just a bit. That's right. Yeah. He tries. He's trying to be so hospitable while he's betraying them to the death. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, and when, and, um, if somebody just calls him Zeno, then he's just strange. Strange. That's right. What's <laughs> up, strange? That's, and, and, and that's and that's right. That's I mean that's right for him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. The world was waiting for Xenophilius Lovegood. I mean it, the, the that that care that she takes in these names. Um, it's a delight. I mean it, it's it's on your third or fourth reading where you look at it and you just say, oh my goodness, that's what. That yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I'll start off with one. I mean, the Philosopher's Stone Quidditch team. All right. When, when you first meet these, they, don't, they never really line up. You don't get you don't get a team picture in the center of the novel. I mean, you don't open it up and see the picture of of Katie Bell and Alicia Spinnett, Angelina Johnson, the, the Weasley brothers, and Harry and Oliver Wood. But when you when you do lay their names out, you realize that they're a church. <laughs> you, you've got a bell. Mm-hmm. You've got a spinet, which is an organ. You've got an angel. You've got Harry Potter, whose name we'll have to talk about at some length, and you've got Oliver Wood. Olive Wood is what traditional uh, church statues are made out of. In <laughs> so when you, when, you, when you see the Quidditch team all laid up, and you have the seeker pursuing this great good or whatever, and, and of course the, the Slytherin's not being a, a very opaque um, allegory for the bad guys or whatever, the, sort of the, you know, the serpents or whatever. Here you have these guys that have to, have to catch the snitch and the golden snitch, see the light and, and win, you know, win the trophy or that that's a, you know, a small parable of you know the spiritual dimension to this book. Um, that that kind of thing is such a nice touch, um, and you can totally miss that. <clears throat> I'm confident that almost all I mean, all of us did when we first read the book. Right? Mm-hmm. I just went, "Hey, they're all at church." You know? um, <laughs> but when you read it the third or fourth time and you, and you line up those names and say, "Oh my goodness!" Now, how long did it take her to do that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, just how much care she. I mean, she you know she called. 
told Larry King it was a book for obsessives, right? You pretty much have to be <laughs> to work that out, John. Uh, yeah, yeah, you I mean, have well, to be yeah, a bit I, of an obsessive. I, I, I get that. I hope you're, you're rolling your eyeballs there, Travis. I can't see you. <laughs> yeah, but millions of people, you're rolling your eyeballs. Yeah. But, um, <clears throat> seriously, though, you, you mentioned the Love Goods and Luna Love Goods. We talked about Luna in her own show, so I don't want to beat that to death. But right. really, we have we have the you know the character in White Horse that Luna is named for. Uh, is a pointer to her favorite, one of her favorite characters as well. <clears throat> and we have a lot of literature hat tipping going on in the story. Yeah, the stuff I, I can't my, my edit favorite. out when we're live. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Somebody don't start sneezing. Um, <laughs> what, what of my one of my favorite hat tipping is to um, Tolstoy. Tolstoy, I mean, and it's a kind of a throwaway. I mean, uh, Antonin Dolokhov, one of the Death Eaters, he's. He's a very bad guy. And this, yeah. this, he's one of the original Death Eaters. We meet him first. In, in, if you lay out the whole story in sequence, the first time he, he appears in the, in the timeline of the story is when he shows up with Voldemort to uh, the job interview. Dumbledore says he's waiting in the village for him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's one of the murderer of the Pruitt brothers, Fabian and Gideon. He's at the Battle of the Department of Mysteries where he, he, uh, he, he blasts Hermione. Um, and he breaks Neville's nose and breaks his wand. Then he attacks the trio in Deathly Hallows at, at Tottenham Court Road. I mean, he's at the Battle of Hogwarts. I mean, this guy, this guy is everywhere, and he is bad news wherever he goes. I mean, he is, you know, one of the primary, and he's famous for being, you know, I mean, this guy with a, with a um, nonverbal spell can knock Hermione on her butt. I mean, this, this guy is bad news. And so you think to yourself, where does she get the name, you know, Antonin Dolokhov? Um, besides, you know, the reduplication inside there that we're going to talk about later, um, there's, there's a really bad guy. In War and Peace, which you know, you have to, you know, if you, if, when you make out the best books of all time, you know, the the bucket list or whatever, you things you have to read before you die, or whatever. War and Peace is supposed to be on that list. Right. Um, and Dolokhov is in there, a guy named Fyodor Dolokhov. He's a sick, twisted, nasty. Um, <laughs> first, he has an affair with with um, Pierre Bezhikov, that you know, the, the real hero or the, the large guy inside the um, the book, uh, has an affair with his wife. Um, which causes, you know, he, that, that, and Pierre, who's kind of a, a doofus, challenges this duelist to a duel. And you think, well, this is going to be a pretty short book, um, which, which makes you feel kind of curious. It's a very large book. And, uh, <laughs> but instead, he, uh, incredibly, Pierre defeats Dolokhov in the duel. Um, he wounds him and, and, and walks away from him. Uh, but, but Dolokhov comes back to ruin Nikolai Rostov's life. But he proposes to Sonia and, and – uh, Sonya turns him down, and so he decides to, to destroy the man that Sonya loves. And he does. He does. Um, and, and that's rolling, tipping her hat to one of the great bad guys in literature with a, with a throwaway. Anyway, I think she, she does remove um, the, the K. I think it's just Dolahoff in the book, uh, in, Harry, in Harry Potter. I think she slightly oh. alters the name, just to be a little bit picky. Oh, that's um, good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, I, um, but Mrs. Norris is still Mrs. Norris. Mrs. Norris is still Mrs. Norris. That's Austin right. Mansfield Park, yeah. 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 yeah that, that's uh, a, James, how about one of yours, James? How about one of your favorites? Um, I want to start with, with the wordplay. I mean, I, I see puns when they're not even there. I, I plead guilty <laughs> to that. But, you know, if she's going to give us grim old plays and if she's going to give us uh, crook shanks, a, a cat that has crooked shanks and peevish peevish peeves and uh, baneful bane and so forth, I, I, that, that tempts me to see others as, as wordplay as well. Wilkie Twycross, instructor in apparition. Will Key Twy Cross, 
trying to convince the kids that willpower is the key when they try to cross from point A to point B. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah, you expect it to groan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, in Beetle the Bard, I have wondered this in print, and I've wondered this out loud from time to time. Is she meaning for us to hear Beatles? And then Shakespeare, the Bard of Avon, I mean, both were bards of songs and tellers of tales. And in recent British history and centuries ago, Beetle, the Bard, linked to him. I mean, I, I say this in Repotting Harry Potter four times <laughs> in the book where we first meet Rita Skeeter. She answers someone by saying, lovely, and, and Rowling writes, lovely, said Rita. Lovely, Rita. <laughs> not one, not two, not three, but four times. Lovely, Rita. Meet her maid. Is, is this accident? Coincidental. One more, and then that's, that's all on this subject. But Betty Braithwaite has interviewed Rita in the Deathly Hallows final book about the upcoming bio of Dumbledore. Betty Braithwaite. And she's excited, and she can't wait. Maybe she, I'll bet she's waiting with bated breath for that <laughs> Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, that's, yeah. I, I, how about some more about Rita Skeeter? Well, read a Skeeter, right? Yeah, I I, I think her name is is yeah. a sign that that uh, you're you're talking about reading a mosquito. Yeah, read a bug. And, and not only is it a bug, like she is an animagist, right. but it's a Skeeter. It's a blood sucking, mm-hmm. disease carrying, yeah. poisonous, nasty. Basically, you have it in a, in a in a nice name, nice nice label. You've got Joanne Rowling's feelings about the media. Um, <laughs> that this is basically right up there with government in terms of people you don't want to spend a lot of time with. Anyway, well, I, I, the, the, the wordplay is not, lim- not limited to one language. I mean, she's, she's got bi and trilingual punning going on. Ludo Bagman. Ludo, as John, you, you well know, I play. He's a player. He's a better bagman, criminal associations, and so forth. And then eventually we found that, find out his full name is Ludovic. And nobody maybe but me would notice this right off, but Ludovico Ariosto right. is the Italian Renaissance poet who wrote Orlando Furioso, which is the source of hippogriffs. He invented them in that poem, which is, I think, more than three times the length of Paradise Lost, so you don't – uh, you know, dish it off waiting for a yep. plane. But. Yeah, I, I've even got it. I've got it in the in the uh, the prose translation right in front of me. Believe it or not, because it's 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 also part of her naming is that Orlando Furioso has all this reduplication in it. It's it's uh, <laughs> yeah, this the hippogriff. We see those those two P's and the two F's and Buckbeak. We see mm-hmm. this this echoing. Um, With her anyway, wings. Yeah, this, this, yeah, exactly. This, this is uh, uh, a woman that is playing with language on a. You know, you mentioned this thing. That's, that's, I'm going to go right to one of my favorites because <laughs> her last name is my last name. <laughs> um, yeah, I should note. Let's, let's note here. Let's be fair. Let's be fair. There's a James in the books. There's mm-hmm. a Thomas in the books. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is very bad, but one of them is one of Harry's friends too. And there's even there's there's a John Remus Lupin's middle name is John. Mm-hmm. And there's obviously a Granger, and we even have a half-blood Prinzi. Yeah. So <laughs> the pundits are covered here. It, 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 there's even a Sturgis. So when Amy joins us, we, right. we've got all of these people covered. But, her, but, her, but Hermione, I get asked when I give talks, they just say, um, "Are you related to Hermione?" I, um, <laughs> sometimes they do. They're innocent and they're young. Whatever. Sometimes they do because they want to rise out of me. Anyway, that that uh, her name though, Hermione's name. James talking about the language is thing. 
Rowling says that she gets it from Winter's Tale. Shakespeare mm-hmm. has in Hermione, but she also says, but Hermione isn't like that Hermione at all. Right. Um, it's much more, I think, a reference to the. Uh, you know, it's it's the it's the daughter of Helen and Menelaus, mm-hmm. uh, you know, going back to the Battle of, of, of Troy. But uh, more important is it's the feminine of the Greek Hermes. That this right. is basically her name. Her name means Mercury, right? Uh, and her initials are HG. You know, which is mm-hmm. 80 on your periodic table. You know, this is this is a, a mercurial woman. In terms of the alchemy, which is the scaffolding of the stories, that Mercury is you know, she's the feminine and intellected pole, contrary to Ron Bilius Teasley, mm-hmm. uh, who's who's you know basically hot and dry to her, you know. Uh, you know, wet and cold. She's, she's feminine intellectual. He's masculine and passionate. And they're the quarreling couple of, of, of uh, sulfur and mercury inside the story. That's, that's mm-hmm. a really important thing that she, she rolls through there. And she said, she was asked once, you know, why she, she was named Granger. And rather than answer, you know, <laughs> with any kind of explanation of Granger, <laughs> that's two G's and two R's, whatever inside of it, is that she says, Hermione is originally named Puckle, but it didn't work. That's right, Puckle. <laughs> I just yeah, learned that for the pu- Hermione Puckle would have been a really funny that, name. That would have, you know, we might have lost the entire series right there. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't quite had the ring to whatever. A name, a name. That's a name well suited to end up on the cutting room floor. <laughs> I'm glad that she remembered it. That she showed us. It was a great dodge because Mrs. Rowling, Ms. Rowling, as a rule, does not answer questions about names. I mean, she, she, she answers them, but she tells us nothing. Right. Like, I mean, right. Albus Dumbledore. Are we really going to believe that his name means White Bumblebee? Right. Like, that's all there is to, to it, no. He likes I mean, to sing and walk around, and, and so she says he sounds like a... That I mean, name in particular is almost a self-contained literary chiasmus, where the first and last names are alchemical, Albus and Dumbledore. Uh, the, the next two names inside of that are Percival, um, which is, of course, a, a royal name from the King Arthur legends. And the other side, you've got uh, Brian, which means higher noble. So you've got a parallel there. And then in the middle, you've got Wolfric, which may have been taken from perhaps St. Wolfric, who was, mm-hmm. of course, a saint um, who did great miracles and, and prophecy and a hermit. And so here's the loner Dumbledore who can do more magic than anybody else. I mean, sort of the center of his identity there is this person we don't know who is up there in his chamber. And quite, I mean, the, the, whole, the whole name is so intricately played out. Not to mention you've got Albus the White, right? So he's one of the white hats. He's a good guy. But right underneath that name is um, the parallel to Percy Weasley, who is ambitious for power. And we later find out that Albus Dumbledore went through the same temptations and to avoid the ministry. Um, so uh, with that, that Percival lurking under the surface of the, of the Albus, the white name, the, the good and the bright and the brilliant, and a uh, very well-planned out name. It's right. certainly and, not and, as simple and, as White Bumblebee. That, that's right. And, and, and that all the names of the Dumbledores have significance. Yeah. You've got Kendra, which is from the Sanskrit for knowing. You've got um, Ariana, which means silver and holy. And you've got Aberforth, which means river mouth. It's, it's, a, it's a water reference. All these names have alchemical resonances in terms of glory and resplendence. And this, this, is, this is obviously a, a, a uh, royal family. Um, uh, uh, David Colbert wrote uh, that Aberforth was uh, once an old, old English word meaning to wander around or to wander off. And uh, I went to a dictionary or two and eventually got to ab and arari in the Latin, which gives us aberrant, like aberrant behavior. And so Aberforth 
wanders around. We don't see him really until book seven. He's he's geographically he's wandering, and then he's wandering ethically or morally, going astray with that improper charms on goats business and so <laughs> forth. So uh, there's another direction to come from with with Aberforth completely. By the way, if if Aberforth had a middle name, it would need to be Caprophilius. Oh no! <laughs> Why don't you explain that? Came to me, no, came to me in a flash. Imagine that one. <laughs> goodness, James. <laughs> We'd cut that one out if this weren't live. Cat, eh? Yeah, Cat probably. I, I like the stump. Boeing did say that that she got a lot of her names from her education at uh, at Exeter. She said. The classics part of my degree at Exeter College did furnish me with a lot of good names for characters. Not exactly the use my lecturers expected me to put it to, however. Um, and, that, and that comes from um, Roman names have – there are three names. The, the last one, the cognomen, is uh, kind of the nickname, like, like um, Gaius Julius Caesar. Caesar means something like curly, you know, bushy-haired. <laughs> uh, and there's a lot of fun ones. So Flaccus means flabby. Uh, Galba means pot-bellied. Uh, eventually, eventually, a guy named uh, John Derbyshire wrote this up recently at, at uh, National Review or whatever. But eventually it becomes things like Augustus the Majestic and, and Felix the Fortunate. But they used to have things like, you know, sesquiculus means, you know, you know butt oh, in the That's head. a name. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they've got buck tooth and all these Rowan's had funny names, and I'm afraid Rowan picked up a lot of that from her. But I, I, I think the real source of uh, Rowling's uh, names, I mean, even, even, even the category of, of analyzing names, you've got to get to Dickens. Not only does Dickens play with the reduplication, I mean, you've got, I mean, it's just, the, just the titles of Dickens' books gives you that. I mean, we, you've, got, you've got Christmas Carol, you've got Tale of Two Cities. His most famous books, but all the things like Pickwick Papers, all the way to Edwin Drood, whatever, all of them have these names and titles which which echo inside and outside. Um, things like people talk about where's Arabella Fig come from? Mm. Uh, there's, there's an Arabella Allen and Pickwick. Uh, you know, you can just go to all of her books and just pull them all out from you know Dick Datchery and Edwin Drood and Uriah Heep, Jane Jardis. Um, well, you you come at the simplest of names from so many different directions, and you're still rewarded. You said Arabella fig, and I remember looking up flower symbolism on certain species of figs. It it symbolized in Renaissance flower symbolism secrecy. You know, it's just the, the smallest of things. <laughs> Petunia symbolizes resentfulness. So you know, s- start looking through flower symbolism and trace through some and of the for flowers, flowers uh, and all the all the others. N- yeah. Narcissa. Of oh, course, I so mean Nar- Narcissus in the legend stares there at the water and becomes a flower, the Narcissus plant, and ends up being sort of a a, a negative parallel to Lily, who is of course you know so you've got the mother of Draco who is a flower who is vain, and you've got the mother of Harry who is a flower who is pure and self-sacrificial. Yeah. And Petunia, but, and I mean, Petunia, just, yeah, yeah, exactly. Petunia is the contrast with with Lily, and that Lily is this. You know, glorious flowers, a symbol of resurrection. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's what you, the reason you put a lily on people when they die is you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. a symbol of their hope of resurrection. You don't put petunias with them. I mean, petunias yeah. are relatively <laughs> fragile and weak and, um, you know, a, 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 what do you call them? An ephemeral flower. They don't, they don't symbolize eternity, um, strength. There. 
But as, as I said with Ernie McMillan, I, when I think uh, I'm dealing with a name that has no significance whatsoever, there's still surprises. I, I, I've forgotten why, but I was typing Stan Shun Pike's name months and months ago, and it wasn't read on my screen. Why? So I get the dictionary. I didn't know what a shun pike was. I look up shun pike, and it's a, a, a side road or a back road or a road that you take, a pike that you take to avoid the toll roads. <laughs> and Stan and Ernie on that bus, I later learned, are her grandfather's first names. When, so when, when she wrote the 800-word uh, prequel uh, on that little note card, everyone said, oh, that that was kind of silly. We hope for something more than that. Uh, uh, and I said I was thrilled with this thing because she put the name Wilberforce in there, and I had mm. just gotten done writing this eighty-page section of my book on politics and Harry Potter and how it embraces kind of a um, you know this this Fabian gradualism. And I, I wrote about how I was glad the house elves weren't freed at the end, not because I don't want house elves to be freed, but because it would have kind of been an insult to the depth of the problem of slavery to free the house elves in three years after discovering their slavery. Um, mm-hmm. It's a much harder problem problem than that. And then she drops the name Wilberforce. And how long did it take William Wilberforce, who basically engaged in gradual Christian social action to end slavery in Britain? It was a long and difficult process. And so Mm -hmm. I said, look, that's a name drop for the whole key to her political uh, outlook on the series. And people thought it was a little bit crazy, but we've we've been studying Rowling too long to think that she'd write even 800 words and not drop some sort of uh, interesting name. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that, that, that points to what you, I mean, Travis, is, from reading your book, Harry Potter Imagination, mm-hmm. um, and talking with you, I mean, the, the names of the original... Uh, Order of the Phoenix and the connections that David Colbert made to uh, Fabian Society and mm-hmm. and the, what that says then about Dumbledore's political outlook. Why does Dumbledore have slaves? You know, um, why isn't he? Uh, why doesn't uh, Why doesn't Dumbledore belong to SPEW? You know, why isn't he uh, uh, the most tolerant man of the series? Well, it's because. He's a gradualist. He be- he's a contemplative. He believes in uh, inward change leading to outward change. And in Dumbledore's point of view, if if the uh, if the house and we're getting on house elves here, not names, but if the house elves don't want freedom, you create an atmosphere where their wills can change over time. He removes the. You can call me a barmy old codger if you want, right? He re- removes all the rules, but he embraces this long-standing kind of it's going to take a while point of view on on social change. And that's and that's cued by the names of the original Lord of the Phoenix. I mean, mm-hmm. you look at their names, and you're going to come up with the Fabian Socialists, which is exactly the kind of gradualism that you're mm-hmm. talking about. Yeah, exactly. Um, and if you and if you if you get that, it's in there, as you said. She said this. She never thought this book would take off and be as popular as it is, but she assumed it would be a cult classic yeah. that people, you know, obsessives would you know continue to dig into it. Now it's the kind of thing that obsessives find. Yeah, you, you can start out with a put-outer, but uh, after all the millions and millions of copies, you've got to come up with the Deluminator, and she does, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> brilliantly. Um, with the light that comes through his heart in the Deluminator. I mean, all the time we've had oh, yeah. you know, the light from the street lamps and the, in front of the grim old place. And it's, it's kind of just a, uh, a magical token. It's a physical thing. That's right. And then, mechanical. And then we get the payoff. Yeah. As you said, we get, we get the, the better name for it with the will. Um, and we find out this this invention that he has is actually that will will uh, illumine, will enlighten Ron's heart. That he needed yeah. this special thing, um, yeah. and, th- and that carries him back to his friends and to his you know his Ron the Baptist moment to use your phrase, <laughs> James, um, yeah. and and his ability to uh, you know use the sword of Gryffindor to destroy the Lock and Horcrux. I mean that yeah. that that comes from that name, as you said. Uh, 
if you don't know your Latin, you know, it's just, it's just out of the light. This is, you know, not just a light extractor, but, you know, it's out of the light. It draws this light. Um, yeah. Anyway. Like, again, uh, like a pun, uh, in disillusion, disillusion, disillusionment charm. When <laughs> Harry is most disillusioned of all mm-hmm. in book five, she brings that in. I mean, it's a way of invisibility, but boy, is everybody disillusioned. But it's but it's a but it's a special thing there. I mean, you would think it was an illusion rather than a disillusionment, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because what happens there is you become your environment. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, you you become a transparency to everything which is around you. She's trying to say that you're not this uh, integrated individual that you think you are. That's that's the actual illusion. You think that you have an integrity independent, absolute. Your individualism <clears throat> separates you from your environment. That's the illusion. The, the disillusionment is when that's removed and you actually see yourself as a transparency to your environment and the people that you're around. Um, probably a, a remarkable play of words there. Oh, it is. It is. So we got, uh, hey, we got name requests coming in fast and oh, furious okay, here. So okay. I, uh, Go ahead, James, and then we'll try so I was going to say the hanged man, the pub in <laughs> Goblet of Fire, where the folks who are gathered there want uh, Frank Bryce to become what the name of the pub is. And it's taking place, remember, in Little Hangleton. And if, if you know uh, Eliot's Wasteland at all, the hanged man is a tarot card, and it figures in the poem and in one of the notes that Eliot wrote to the poem. Now, the link there to me is that the women's conversation in the pub is so much like the women's conversation in the pub in the wasteland. I mean, they're not overly literate. They're not speaking grammatically. And uh, it's just so reminiscent of it. And later on, by the way, in in, in book four, Rowling uses the phrase half-formed thoughts to describe what Harry was feeling. That's Those three words are directly from the wasteland. So mm. being in The Hanged Man took me back to the poem for a while, though I, I made my escape from it. Well, that's, that's – and, and we – you know the timing of the hangman is roughly the time that the wasteland is being written, and you know that, that conversation yep. you're talking about, yep. and the ending of the book is another pointer to Eliot in the All Is Well um, yep. from the yep. Quartet. I mean, that, I mean that's it's it's uh, yeah she's she's dropping these references right and left and. and uh, by the way, the Salem Witches Institute. Uh, some American witches are talking beneath a spangled banner. <laughs> all, of course, all we need is star in there. So. <laughs> nice. Okay, James, what, what, have we, what have we got coming in here? Well, John, you when we were when I was scrambling with the technical stuff, and uh, you guys were planning, you, I heard you mention something about the founders' names. I wanted to go somewhere with that, and that's been brought up. So, do you want to take off on that? Well, yeah. I mean, you, you've got to get into the alliterative stuff. I mean, really. I mean, how. You, you've got Minerva McGonagall and Mad Eye Moody and Luna Lovegood and uh, all the all the names you can talk about. But the four founders really beget you know the essence of names. I mean, that's that's the that's the the foundation of the school. It's really the the, you know, the, the meta narrative of the series comes out of the play of these four people. And there you have the, you have Godric Gryffindor, uh, Salazar Slytherin, Rowena Ravenclaw, and Helga Hufflepuff. Mm-hmm. Now, that you can go, you can tear those things down and talk about what each one of those names and and they're, and they're very meaningful. I mean, Godric means godly, and there's a Saint Godric who's f- familiar, if you will. I mean, it's a saint is a, is a white stag, if you if you know his icon or whatever. And and Gryffindor means golden griffin, which is a reference to the you know the, the golden griffin that appears at the end of the Purgatorio and to Christ. You know, it's it's uh, half eagle and half half lion, and it's because it's golden, it's of light. You know, he is the light of the world or whatever. And all the names can be broken down that way. But what's fascinating to me about this is not only you know the meanings of the names, you know, breaking them down and finding out how they work. Salazar Slytherin sounds like a snake, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but 
to look at how each one of these names has an alliterative beginning. And, and it not only has an alliterative beginning, but there's an echo inside of it. So you've got you know, two Fs in Gryffindor, as well as the two Gs. You've got Salazar Slytherin with the Ls and the Rowena Ravenclaw with the, with the Ws and the Vs. And Hufflepuff has you know, the F reduplicated yeah. twice. Um, but then you go out into the story and you see you, know, you have the Fat Friar, the Bloody Baron, Moaning Myrtle, Nearly Headless Nick. I mean, you, all the, almost all the ghosts have the same sort of thing. Um, even you can go to the skiving snack boxes and you get puking pastilles, beaver fudge, uh, canary creams, uh, nosebleed nougat, ton tongue toffee. You know, I mean, you get all of these things. She's, she's going again and again with the reduplication. And, that, and that's when you get to Harry Potter's name. And you see that there's two R's and there's two T's in the center of it. I mentioned, I mentioned Dickens earlier, and Dickens does the same thing. Dickens has so many of us. I mean, the, the hero of great expectations is Philip Pirip, you know, who's, who's, who's Pip. Now you have four P's, but you have two L's and two R's, just for like Harry Potter. Uh, and almost all the characters in, in say, Tale of Two Cities, Jarvis Laurie, Alexander, Manette, uh, Sidney Carton with his two Y's, Charles, Darnay, I mean, almost all the characters have this internal echo and reduplication. Um, I mean, I, I could literally take the rest of, of our time going through all of the characters from Quirious Quirrell and Severus Snape and Ted Tonks and Daedalus Diggle, uh, <laughs> Colin Creevy, uh, Bethilda Bagshot, uh, Peter Pettigrew, Neville Longbottom. All these characters have this reduplication in the center as well as the alliteration at the beginning of their names. Um, and I, I think that's really important that we uh, you know, note that. I mean, this is a, uh, obviously there are there are more than a thousand Harry Potter names. This is there are a thousand Dickens names. There are actually nine hundred eighty nine Dickens names. How's that? Uh, another example. It's a dragon type of dragon, but the Peruvian viper tooth. You got the yeah. P and the V and the first and the V and the P reversed mirror imaged in the second mm-hmm. word there. Uh, yeah, Justin Finch Fletchley, Victor, yeah, Bob, yeah, Cedric yeah. Diggory, Flor Delacour. You know all these echoes. You know, mm-hmm. Dirk Creswell, the Gray Lady. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Electo Caro, mm-hmm. Cuthbert Finns, Hannah Abbott. Hannah Abbott, whose name is very yeah. much like Harry Potter. It has the reduplication right in the center. I mean. We, literally, we could do this all night. What, is, I mean, what does it mean? I, I think we've got to look at this thing that Dickens. Dickens is now a chemical writer. He's talking about choices. I mean, we have we have the central one of the central meanings of this book is Dumbledore saying to Harry at the end of uh, Chamber of Secrets, "It's not who you are, it's who you choose to be." That, that's that's what your real reality is. And a choice means that there's you know, there's there there are options. Mm-hmm. There's there's a double nature here. And we see in her book that she has a lot of double-natured characters, from Anna Magi to twins and, and brothers to um, characters that are liminal, that are that are just borderline characters, from from Dobby to um, Percy, as you mentioned. Uh, you've got the magical creatures that have two natures to them. You've got half-breeds, mud ble- mudbloods, and monsters. All these double characters, all these characters that are on a threshold of some kind, and they have to make a choice. And I think Rowling is pointing to that in her names. That the names that have these alliterations and internal echoes to point us in a, in a very you know, subtle, obviously, way, in a funny way. I mean, some of these names are really very funny. Um, I mean, Neville Longbottom, I mean, his name means simultaneously, you know, Neville is, is a heroic name, 
uh, Richard Neville, the 16th Earl of, of Warwick in the 15th century, was the kingmaker. He was the guy who you know, made two, two kings on the throne. But also to, to us, we're modern people. Neville is Neville Chamberlain. You know, he's the mm-hmm. biggest loser in English history. Right? He's the great <laughs> compromiser. Um, and Longbottom too means the same thing. Longbottom means simultaneously he has a big R's, um, and it and it also means that he's great in courage. You know that he's he's bottom is is uh, tenacity. It also it, it means something like sexual potency. I mean, um, he, his name means almost the opposite of Peter Pettigrew. Uh, you know, Peter is not only the prince of the apostles. But in the playground lingo, Peter is just your penis, and it's very yeah. small. And so both these names have this this uh, you know front and back, which is huge. Just as Neville has this front and back, and Neville and Peter Pettigrew are actually linked in one of Harry's dreams, where he sees them as being you know that, that they're they look like each other. You know, you, with, uh, divorce the sound from the sense for a moment and, and think about sound alone. What Rowling does with goblins' names is, is very, very consistent. And, and almost all of the names have, have a long O or they have a hard G or a hard K or, or all three of the above. Like the word goblin has a hard G and an O sound. I, I, I've got Bodrod, Bogrod, Griphook, of course, Gornook, Ragnook. And out of canon, she's mentioned Bodrig and Hodrod. Even her her uh, Quidditch team from Grodzik, Poland, they're the goblins. And, and, and they speak gobbledygook. And they all have those names with the G's and the K's. And so, and then my other example, real quickly, of just sound alone, regardless of sense and meaning, is to, if you've never done it, to sound out um, – Lockhart's uh, what Lockhart calls out to try to rid himself of the pixies, and and <laughs> that's great stuff. Pesky pixie, pester no me. <laughs> well, the goblin thing. I mean, if you go back to Tolkien's The Hobbit, uh, read. Go back to Tolkien's The Hobbit and read the goblin poems, uh, songs in there, and it's all that kind of harsh sounding yeah. gorn stuff. Black crack the black. You know, it's it's very you know it's a very uh, harsh sounding, and she picks that right up and does it with her. That's a part of being right. goblin. Exactly, yeah. it's part of being goblin. Harsh names, yeah. So I think John, you got in. Were you finished? Because <laughs> <laughs> well, we jumped right all over that. Yeah, I mean this this uh, this is I think what Rolling is after with her names is more. She's operating on several levels. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes they're just jokes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're 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 assonances, like James was talking about, where you're just supposed to get go 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 go, like, just like barbarian was the Greek word for people that just went bo 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 bo, just made funny sounds to the Greeks. Uh, and then sometimes, you know, with with the actual care, remember she said she spent, you know, she she had something here. She had eight or nine names before she found the right one. Was that she's looking for some kind of clue or key to them, not only in their meaning, but in you know, in, in the larger theme of the book about how we're supposed to identify with these characters and make a choice because we have a choice. There's an echo. There's a, there's a mm-hmm. second option there for us. And, and and don't underestimate just going to the dictionary. I mean, who who has looked up doxy in the dictionary? Why would we assume that a doxy has a meaning other than the pests that get in the curtains? You look up doxy and you find out that in a bygone era in British slang, it was a promiscuous woman or a prostitute. <laughs> Sheds a whole new light on the doxy's bite. <laughs> but there is a doxy. There's a doxy. There's a shunpike. I mean, those those are easily overlooked. We're getting a request in for Nymphadora Tonks. Nymphadora. Nymphadora. Their, their last name, her first name means uh, Dora means gifts, like Theodora is a gift from God or whatever. And so she's 
she's a, a gift from the nymphs. It, it, it implies that she has special capabilities, and that's what she has. And right. she, has, she, has she has her ability to change her appearance at will. Um, since she chooses the name Tonks, though, as a pointer to the fact that yeah. she likes a very simple, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't want the, the uh, elevated name, as it were. It's, it's a pointer to her humility. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. that's right. Good answer. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's, a, it, she's a Tonks. She's a Tonks. She's not a Nymphadora. Rufus that's right. Scrimger. Uh, that's a red name. I mean, last yeah. book, right? Yeah, and, 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 it's, and, it's, and Scrimger means battler. In, yeah. uh, is a, um, so we get him. I mean, he's. He's put in a bad light because he tries to get Harry to compromise. He tries to get – he's basically the Winston Churchill figure. He's trying to get Harry to play along um, in the battle against the Dark Lord. He's very serious. I mean he's, he's doing all that he can to fight the Dark Lord, but he's, you know, he's doing some things which are also very bad. He brings Dan Shunpike in jail. I mean this, this is – or not in jail, but in Aston. Well, he, he replaces the smooth politician. You mm-hmm. know? Um, he, he's the tough guy. Uh, he, can, he continues a lot of the same policies that Harry says he hates. Uh, and at the same time, ends up dying, keeping Harry's secrets. So that's right. we've got a mixed bag with him. That's right. Very, very mixed. Yeah. With a with a an I changed to a Y. I think I've read too that he's a there, there's a character in a in a McGonagall poem, a William McGonagall poem, not a Minerva McGonagall poem, <laughs> uh, with that uh, with that same name. The the, 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 the Scottish poet who's by in some <laughs> in some field the worst poet ever to write in the English language. That's right. That's right. Rufus, too, Travis mentioned, is a red. He red appears. Hair. He really appears um, at, his, at, at his death at the beginning of the at the at the end of uh, the, the wedding stage of Deathly Hallows, as I explained in Deathly Hallows lectures. <laughs> um, his death opens up the red stage of the book, the Rebetto, and which only ends with the death of for red, um, which is the, you know the other red name inside the book. Um, it, just as she had. Serious black die at the end of the Negretto, the black stage, and Albus Dumbledore die at the end of the white stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, again, that's, we haven't talked about that. that, that she uses names as uh, markers as to what her story is markers, all. Yeah. Any, any more requests? Oh, this yeah, we're, get, we're getting a bunch here. We got uh, Phileas Flitwick. We've already done the alliteration. Anything, anything else on top of that? I think Flitwick is a town, isn't it? Snape is a town. Dursley is. I think yeah. Flitwick is as well. But Phileas. Phileas is important. I mean, isn't he? Isn't he part? Um, he's not all part goblin. Was it? Yes, yes, part goblin. Yeah, and Phileas, like Xenophilius, means is it pointer to hospitality. Um, he's a he's a person that is generous. Which which house is he the head of? He's, he's the head of the Hufflepuff uh, house, right? Ravenclaw, isn't it? Yeah, Ravenclaw. Sprout, getting, everyone's saying Ravenclaw. Yeah, Sprout is yeah, Hufflepuff. Yeah. That's right. Yep. Oh, well. Yeah. Shut my mouth. All, all the pundits um. suddenly got stopped, and all the pundits out there just answered in unison. It's Ravenclaw. <laughs> Come on. You idiots. <laughs> that's right. Oops. Glad, glad I'm not visible, Travis. Are you blushing for all of us? That's good. That's good. <laughs> Turn the uh, mic over to people in the chat, it looks like. Batilda Bagshot's the next one. We, again, alliteration. We've covered that and the double-naturedness and all that, but Batilda Bagshot. Well, because the double, double nature there is important because um, – correct me if I'm wrong here, as I'm sure you will. Isn't she the one who explodes with a snake inside of her? <laughs> yep. And basically, yeah, I mean, the serpent comes out of her, um, and so you get that, that alliteration there You know that she's um, a bag which is shot. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of like a you know, pointer to Havisham and this kind of thing that she's uh, an empty bag, and it, out, out of it you should expect something to explode, and that's, that's certainly what we get. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got Florian Fortescue. Uh, Florian's got to be a man. yeah, the ice cream man. Yeah. Uh, but, but again, you know, wonderful alliteration there. That's 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 a Dickensian 
Mm -hmm. uh, and we don't know, because he's a mysterious character, we, we don't know if his disappearance is meaningful or not. Um, I'm not sure we ever find out if his disappearance mm -hmm. was meaningful or not. I don't think so. We've got a request for the Gaunt. Uh, Gaunt, of course, just refers to their physical state. Um, and and you know their their mental and emotional and spiritual state as well. They're just thin and sick. Merope was a uh, what, what a nymph who fell in love with a mortal, or or a goddess who fell in love with a mortal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but there's a much star in the Pleiades. There's there's a much bigger background of the Gaunts though than just just the fact that they're that, and that's that's Vanity Fair. Yeah, I, I don't know if yes. you guys are if you guys are really into. Thackeray or not, but um, in Vanity Fair in Chapter Twelve, this, I, I got all this from Susan Boyer in Pittsburgh. I, I'm not a I'm not a big Thackeray reader, um, but in uh, Vanity Fair Chapter Twelve, we find out that the the dark mark of fate and doom was on the threshold, uh, the tall old threshold surmounted by coronets and carved heraldry. Basically, they're a fallen family, and they say that there's something wrong with their family. Thackeray says they have a mysterious taint of the blood. So she's pointing to, I mean, by choosing Gaunt, um, she's pointing to Vanity Fair and this this 19th century fallen family that used to have you know great um, power and, and property and such, but has fallen away from that because some mysterious taint in the blood and the dark mark of fate, um, and, and that's that's that, that becomes you know, that's that's the bloodline that we get uh, Thomas Riddle from. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So yeah, that, that's a big that's a yeah. big. I'm going to toss one out to you guys, and then I need to run and get my power cord, or this whole thing is going to come crashing down, and my laptop's going to die. Um, so they ask for Grigorovich. Um, yeah, Grigorovich and Grindelwald. Go. <laughs> Grindelwald, uh, the Grindel, the monster in Beowulf, sound alike. Uh, Wald, Wald, forest in German. Uh, I think in both cases, it's just a... Uh, uh, German and slash Eastern European sounding names, uh, the exotic nature of them. Both and, and, you know, Grigorovich with the G, hard G's again, but two of them. Right. I mean, we've, we've got Gellert, Gellert Grindelwald, and, you know, just, just like uh, uh, Gregory Goyle and uh, Grigorovich, whatever, and all the goblin names you mentioned earlier, that when, we, when we see these hard gutturals, um, these are not characters you're supposed to look up to. You know, these are characters who are somewhat problematic. There's a, there's, there's a historical sense in this that you know we do have the marriage of the French and the English in, in the, uh, the alchemical wedding that opens up uh, Deathly Hallows, and we find out that all the bad guys are essentially Germans, except for Victor Crumb, who's more Slavic, I think, than mm -hmm. than German or whatever. But all the people that have these these G's in them and R's, I mean, there's something you know, not quite right about. Them. Travis, Travis is still gone here. No, I'm back. I'm back. I'm hey, back. I'm, I'm making jokes in the chat room. I don't know where you guys are at. <laughs> who, who remembers? Who remembers the name of the store, the department store that's always being renovated, which conceals St. Mungo's? Remember that name? Uh, anybody in the chat remember that? Uh, we'll have to wait for there. Um, we'll see if somebody remembers. Because uh, I no, think there's something no going on there. I think this is a little body humor. The, <laughs> Question again is what was the name of the department store that is – somebody's looking it up. Um, the, <laughs> the department store, it's, it's actually well, – I, I can tell it's you. Terrence it, from Hogwarts Radio. Oh, you know it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You've I, read I just wanted, a thousand well, times. It's pur <laughs> Purge and Douse. <laughs> so, I mean, what was their hottest selling item? Enemas? 
<laughs> exactly. Perks and Dows is, is uh, basically your renaissance and medieval treatments for anything. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's great. That's great because that's, that's uh, the cover for St. Mungo's where they actually right. try to do some healing. Uh, yeah. Screen, but <laughs> wonderful. That's wonderful. Um, okay, Cornelius Fudge. Wow. Yeah. Well, Fudge, he fudges on he the fudges truth. fudges everything, yeah. He fudges and on everything. Fudge is also kind of a sham. James Russell Lowell called, said this about Poe. He said he's three-fifths genius and two-fifths sheer fudge. <laughs> so phony and uh, doesn't reveal the full truth. I, I, there's a poem by W.H. Auden called The Unknown Citizen, which I feel that Rowling would certainly be familiar with. And it's about the namelessness and facelessness of dull bureaucracy in contemporary British life, and the employer in that poem is Fudge Motors, Inc. Um, Oswald, what is it, book five, we find out his Oswald, for American readers, that's a notorious association with Lee Harvey Oswald, but certainly for British readers of an older generation, it's uh, Oswald Mosley, who was a leader of the British fascist party and an anti-Semite whose uh, associations with Hitler caused him to be interned in Great Britain during World War II. So a notorious name, even for the middle name. And Cornelius? I, th- I think is a pointer also to like fudge, that he's, there's corn, corn in the sense of uh, being just uh, you know, hack. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, you know, we, we, we say corny in that sense. It's just yeah, sort of yeah. emptiness. All right, how about how about the celestial names? Now, uh, Sandra oh, Sandra Measles coming out with an essay on this in a book that I'm editing right now, a second volume of Hogshead Conversations. It's going to be a good exposition to this soon, but let's let's toss this out here. We got Andromeda, we got Sirius, we've got uh, all the blacks, all, all the, blacks. the blacks. It's a black thing. Yeah, you got yeah, exactly. So, um, anybody want to take a quick stab at that? No, I'm, I'm pretty confident Sandra's going to make the connection because alchemy and astrology work together. Yes. Um, yes. And I'm pretty confident in a book which is this this um, carefully constructed on an alchemical scaffolding. You know that those stars had to be doing it. I've been, I've been waiting will, on Sandra for a long time. There will be two <laughs> essays in that collection, just to promote the book a little bit, that will be dealing with planetary imagery and, and, and alchemy and, and star uh, celestial bodies because uh, Aaron Sweeney is doing the planet thing as well. Who any leaky fans will know from the scribulous thing. Oh, so, good. yeah, Travis, you are fading in and out. Am I? Yeah, you are fading in and out as well. Okay. <laughs> is that the end um, of our time? Is that, is that what that means? The end of our time. Um, well, we've been doing this for almost an hour. So, I mean, there's there are name uh, requests coming in like crazy, like Arnold the Pygmy Puff. Anybody want to Arnold the Pygmy Puff three times <laughs> is referred to as Arnold the Pygmy Puff in that order. Is this a reference to Arnold the Pig in the old Green Acres television? <laughs> <laughs> you think BBC One? Totally you think BBC I, One played Green Acres? <laughs> <laughs> Green Acres was uh, uh, syndicated in Great Britain. Um, it was shown there when Rowling was a young woman, and remember she. Has some pretty positive opinions about Simpsons and Frasier episodes and various other things. So, I thought Arnold the Pig, Arnold the Pig, might be a wink there for those who are too young to remember Green Acres, which is probably almost everybody. <laughs> well, the chat room is already listening. <laughs> a pig. You and I enjoyed that as joke, a son. Yeah, and, oh. and Arnold the Pig, and he was always referred to as Arnold the Pig, and he liked to watch TV a lot. <laughs> Arnold the Pig, that's funny. You got you got any more here, anyway? Uh, oh yeah, let's see. Uh, Hedwig, well, Saint Hedwig, of course, patron yeah. saint of orphans. So that's why Hedwig, of course, who is with Harry and watches over him, um, 
is there. And of course he he dies just after Harry officially becomes a man, right? And so mm-hmm. no longer an orphan, his own man, and so that that makes sense with uh with Hedwig. What else? I want to I want to talk about a guy named Hugo. Um, oh yeah, we didn't do Hugo. Do Hugo, Hugo Weasley. Yeah. I, I had a guy named um, Greg Basham write to me and say, "Have you ever explored the uh, Hugo connection? Because in in Les Miserables, when Jean Valjean comes back to get Ca, um, Cassette, she is sleeping. It's, it's in if you're if you're a, a, a Les Mis fan, it's in Volume Two, Book Three, Chapter Eight. Um, in the middle of the night, he tries to find Cassette and says. Then Jean Valjean heard a very faint and gentle sound like the breathing of a child. He followed the sound and came to a sort of triangular recess, recess built under the staircase, or rather formed by the staircase itself. This recess was nothing else than the space under the steps. There, in the midst of all sorts of old papers and potsherds, among dust and spider's web, was a bed, if one can call by name of bed, a straw pallet. In this bed, Cassette was sleeping. So basically, Cassette in Jean Valjean, uh, in uh, Les, Les Miserables, is there's Harry Potter under the stairs, um, and we that's how we first meet Harry as the as the you know just as the Thenardiers mm-hmm. mistreat Cassette in mm-hmm. that book in the very beginning of Philosopher's Stone at the very end really in the epilogue we get to meet Hugo Weasley and she finally makes her pointer to Victor Hugo, um, who is uh, oddly enough you know in, in Hunchback of Notre Dame he mentions Nicholas Flamel twelve times in fact <laughs> uh, Victor Hugo. Uh, in 1853, channeled Nicholas Fennell in a seance to find out what people on Mercury looked like. That he's actually he's an alchemical writer, um, and so he, he wants to know more about alchemy. Is this and yeah. because because Victor Hugo is considered to be the greatest poet in to the French, um, and they, they enjoy his novels too. But he's primarily a poet. I'm pretty sure that along with the classical influence, at the very end of her books, uh, Rowling is doffing her cap to the person at the beginning of the book that she tapped her head to with, with uh, Harry being under the stairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we get that in, in Hugo. Plus, there's the alchemical thing where mm-hmm. Hugo has H.G. as his name, mm-hmm. just like Hermione's initials. Um, well, and, and the end is packed with that. I mean, you've got the resolution of opposites in the name Albus Severus. You've got Rose. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's right. The whole the ending is packed Ro- with alchemical names. Yeah, the, the Rose is a, uh, Travis knows this, but it, <laughs> Rose is another symbol for the Philosopher's Stone. Um, and when she's hooked up with, with Albus, as they get on the train, mm-hmm. she's the white rose, because Albus mm-hmm. means white, and, and the white rose is the beatific vision of Dante at the end of the Divine Comedy. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a big swelling of music there. Maybe yeah. you missed it, but uh, yeah. that, was, that was a big rush there at the end with uh, Hugo, Rose, and Albus on the, on the train platform. Mm-hmm. Um, what else we got here? Slughorn. Horace Slughorn. <laughs> well, he takes a lot of slugs, and Beowulf and his men used to drink mead out of horn, out of a horn. Um, slughorn, I don't know the Scottish word, but I've read that it's a Scottish dialect word that probably gave us the, the English word slogan. It was a battle cry, uh, which is somewhat ironic since he's not exactly a great warrior in Book 7. I don't think he ever changes out of his emerald green pajamas, but that's a little bit about Horace and the slug. He and the is horn. there fighting at the very end. In fact, the only clear Slytherin we've got fighting at the very end. That's right. Albeit not in uniform, but, <laughs> but, but what's the Horatian quote, the Horace quote, John, um, let's see, nunc est babetum or something like that. It means, now let us drink, and it's... it's <laughs> Host. So Horace, Horace, the 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 older Horace, probably lifted a few too. 
you don't think this is this is sort of like uh, sort of an ironic thing about Horace at the Bridge. I mean, he has a, has a name which which it, which sounds Horatio at the Bridge. It's like, kind of like a, you know, it's a heroic moment, but he's um, he's not. <laughs> not exactly okay at the Coromist. That's right. That's right. I mean, this this um, he, he's he's he fails. He 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 gives Tom Riddle. Uh, the idea, really, he gives him the information he needs uh, to create the um, Horcruxes. Yeah, uh, it's, and he, it's. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, that's that, that's pretty much all I had there. Oh, I, I was going to put in a plug for Fantastic Beasts and Quidditch through the ages and Beetle the Bard because she's going strong there too. I mean, oh, it's yeah. just good stuff. Newt Scamander, Newton. He's a scientist. <laughs> Scamander and. These are scams. They're not real creatures, and he's meandering as he tells us about. I mean, his publisher is Obscurus Books. His editor is Augustus Worm. <laughs> well, what about uh, all the what about all the A names in Fountain of Fair Fortune? Uh, oh yeah, uh, there's Asha, Altheta, and uh, Amara. All begin and end with A. Yeah. And they are linked to uh, Asha is a Hindu word for wish, and Altheta is uh, linked to a Truth. Greek that gives us Althea healing, and Amata Amo. Italian love, and those are the characteristics of those three women, what, what the problems that they have in their life. One of my favorites is really obscure. It's in Quidditch Through the Ages, and it's a quotation from a Norwegian poet of centuries ago. And it's, 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 it's quoted because it, it, in a play, makes a reference to the early form of Quidditch, and the poet's name is Ingolfer the Iambic. And she quotes a quatrain from this poet, and it's in anapestic verse. It's not even iambic. <laughs> she also gives us an imaginary French playwright, Malacri, whose name would mean something like bad judge. And he's written a play which makes a reference to Quidditch as well, and his play is entitled, Alas, I Have Transfigured My Feet. We haven't talked about the big players here. Do we, should we close with, with uh, Voldemort and Harry Potter? I mean – are, are there more things here, Travis? Let's, Is that, that our do, big finish? Gonna... We can do maybe one or two more requests that have been brought up. Uh, Cedric Diggory, have we done him yet? And, no, but no. Diggory, uh, Diggory is almost hat tip. That's right. It's almost certainly a tip to C.S. Lewis Diggory Kirk. You know, which is you know the the professor in the first and the last books, and when you know his his name only it has a big reduplication in as well. Cedric Diggory, whatever. But that that speech that that um, Dumbledore makes at the end of the you know the pivotal you know the pivotal ending you know the, the chiasmus if you will the turning point of the whole series yeah. is when when Dumbledore stands up and says remember Cedric Diggory mm. yeah uh, that, that Churchill intonation of that name or whatever um, you're supposed to be thinking about Diggory Kirk and about how what he, he he's he's there when. Um, the inside bigger than the outside is revealed. He's the he's the boy in the, in the in the boy boy. And of course, keeps asking the question: What are they teaching in these schools these days? And right. the whole setting is a school. That's. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is, that is. So one more uh, one more request, and then we'll we'll finish with the biggies. Um, and that is Ollivander. Any thoughts on <laughs> Ollivander? I'm lost on Ollivander. So well, there's a wand in it. The the I'm V there, the yeah, I'm a yeah. I, I love a wand. I think yeah. it's like, and yeah, there you go, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think it's he's the man who loves uh, a wand. Olive again, Olive. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has no first name, does he? No, it doesn't look like it. No, they've been discussing. Somebody suggested his first name was Waylon. 
Um, but <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, know about where that. that came from, and it certainly isn't in the seven books. So. I think it's I think it's James. James Oliveira. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's Tra- we don't have a Travis yet. Exactly, so we'll Travis, Travis Oliveira. <laughs> <laughs> So okay, so the the two biggies, Voldemort and Harry Potter. Um, well, you and, got, and I want to jump in. Yeah, go ahead, jump in. I want to jump in. I don't want I don't want James because his last name is Thomas to jump in on this. But Thomas is Aramaic. That means twin. Twin. Yeah. Yep. Twin and and Riddle, of course, means you uh-huh. know he's an enigma here. And, and yeah. the large large part he plays in this book is is how he is the you know the shadow persona to Harry, the, the scar on his forehead, or everything. He's, and he's the two the, the two aspects of the word riddle. To riddle with holes, to to shred, to tear something mm-hmm. up. It's riddled. Yeah. As, as, as well as the puzzle or enigma yeah. riddle, meaning. John, you wrote on these two biggies uh, in Looking for God in Harry Potter, so. It's now how you... Harry cast his spell, James. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> the new version. What I'm saying is you originally wrote it there. And, yeah, I mean, uh, that was a few years ago, so you were, oh you were in on the ground floor on these two biggies. Well, as we said, so yeah. why don't you. Well, Voldemort. we're being warned by the chat people that the name is taboo, and we're about to get uh, kidnapped. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. That's good. Um, I haven't, I, you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be saying the name so casually, I guess. But Voldemort, I, people have disputed this one, and I, and I, I'm willing to admit that there, there can be three or four meanings to Voldemort. Um, I, I think it means, you know, willing death or fleeing death, and it means those things simultaneously. Yeah. Um, in that he wills death. Mm-hmm. And that he also flies away from me. He spent his life trying to run away from it, but he wills it on other people. In fact, he wills uh, it on other people in order to flee it himself. Yeah. And so, yeah. so, and so, the, so if, if someone tells you it means this, um, you can say what well, also means that. And, and it, you have to emphasize it means also. Because yeah. it loses all of its, as Travis pointed out, it loses all of its power except for the fact that he's fleeing it by willing it. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a magnificent name for a villain. Really, the archetypal yeah. postmodern villain that, that has, is a. Um, an idolater. He pours his soul into physical objects for his mm-hmm. for his hope for um, egotistical immortality. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he is this. He is the backdrop to Harry Potter. When Harry has to choose between Horcruxes and Hallows, he leans hard towards Hallows until he has you know Dobby's example to pull him back from that brink. Mm-hmm. Um, he he almost makes that wrong choice. Um, that's the shadow behind there. But the, but I guess that leads us to Harry Potter and and. Um, you know, James has been kind enough to mention that I, <clears throat> I wrote about this a long time ago. I wrote about this in 2002, and I have the scars on my back to prove it because people thought this was <laughs> simply nutters. Yes, they, they thought it was an Ernie McMillan name. That's right, <laughs> or, or a Kodak, or a yeah. you know, or a Coca-Cola. You know, Harry Potter yeah. at that point had already become a franchise yeah. name, so it couldn't have a meaning. It had to be some some sort of sound. It didn't have a, a meaning. But I, I think Harry Potter, um, you know, Rowling talked. You know, she gives her. Her, um, I'm not going to answer that question. Answer. Um, I like the name, and I, 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 that family on the street where I grew up had that name. Uh, both of which tell us nothing other than I like the name, which is to say, well, why do you like the name, and why did you use it for this character? In, in, a, in a series packed with name meanings, nobody should yeah. be satisfied with that answer. <laughs> That's right. right. So it, but here's the funny thing: is if you follow interviews, basically she's playing with the media. Yeah. But, but whenever they get those answers. The media uh, person, be they a Rita Skeeter or a relatively harmless person, um, <laughs> they nod their head and write this down like, I've got the answer. I've got the answer. And yeah. she must be saying to herself, wow, have you read the book? You know, um, 
uh, Harry well, Potter. Part of, and, that, part of that is is the assumption on the part of many people that uh, the author is speaking. This is this is God revealing uh, meaning of literary text. Robert Frost said, "There's not a death wish in stopping by woods on a snowy evening." So there's not anyway. So. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and well, I mean, Bob Dylan's a better you know example for this, and, right. and George MacDonald. I mean, the real authors and poets either tell you the wrong thing. Or they can tell you there's no meaning. Yeah. Um, and you're left with, uh, oh. Um, and the reason they do that is not only because it's kind of an insulting question. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, what does your yeah, book yeah. mean? What does your poem mean? <laughs> no, that means no. that you didn't, you didn't do a very good job because I can't figure this out. So I'm coming right. to you to have you tell me what it right. means. Um, you paint this picture of a horse. Is it really a horse? You know, can you yeah. paint that horse for me? Um, but Rowling is generous. She gives us lines of sights. You know, she tells us what's important inside her books and how we should – Look at them and stuff. But names, she won't say anything. She does. She does the you know McDonald thing. My dog doesn't bark. I won't bark for him. Right. Uh, but Harry Potter, as Travis said, can we really believe that the, the title character <laughs> and the person who we identify with because of the way the story is told? I mean, you can't with, with third person limited omniscient. You identify with this guy. You basically are looking through his eyeballs. Um, can that character's name be meaningless? And I, I think the answer obviously is no. Um, and and my you know in 2002 I said this I still think it's, I haven't heard a better one so I'll, I'll throw it out again that you know Harry if you say it in sort of a Gaelic way it means it means the heir of Harry means the heir of um, and Potter from Genesis to Revelations is the shaper of the human vessel it's it's the word of God um, it's the it's the it's the creator of things so here we have the heir of the Potter basically we have the human you know the divine image the human um, character who is an image of god and this story is about this person this you know heir of god if you will that has to make his choices as to whether he'll be transformed it will, will take that identity as his own or will if will he turn it off will he become a draco malfoy will he become a serpent of bad faith you know, I mean, that, that's the foil of the characters here's the, an, an heir of god and here's this serpent of bad faith in draco malfoy mm. Um, Rowling's been very clear that she thinks the people that identify with Draco have really missed the point of her book. <laughs> not supposed to be thinking very sympathetically about that guy because he's the, he's the dark image, just like the uh, you know the twin enigma in, in in Tom Riddle. This is the bad choice, um, and Harry Harry's whole life, just like this reduplication inside his name and those two R's and those two T's or whatever. Those those reduplications are pointing to the fact that Harry has to make a choice, um, which he really doesn't make. Until his grave, until he digs his own grave, Dobby's grave actually, but he digs it himself. It's his own grave, and he comes out of it Easter morning and says, yeah. "I will do what Dumbledore told me to do." He identifies with the eye in the mirror, mm-hmm. um, and that choice is what leads to his, you know, his his sacrificial death and love for his friends. And he has his basically his, you know, it's, it's what is it the you know, the passion narrative by Joanne Rowling? <laughs> we have, you know, have nails, the spears, and death, or whatever. We have, they have the whole thing. Uh, but Harry Potter's name, I think, is a pointer to the, the Christian symbolism of the story, the central Christian symbolism of the story, that Harry is um, a Christ figure. He's, not, he's, not, he's not, obviously not a Jesus of Nazareth stand-in, but he's a Christ figure like all of us are supposed to be Christ figures. We're all supposed to be looking for our, our resurrection in Christ. Uh, and, and Rowling said herself in her interview in Los Angeles when she was on her book tour that she thought the Christian symbolism was kind of obvious. And I think part of her may have been saying that she doesn't really understand why people don't get the, the Harry Potter um, name meaning. Uh, that, that, that's quite a throwdown. Um, if, you, if you Google Potter and Christianity, you know, you'll, you'll get a thousand sites where churches are named for the house of the Potter. 
Um, it's, it's not especially opaque imagery yeah. in Christian literature. Potter is it? Is it, is it Isaiah? Thou art the potter, I am the clay? That's right. That's yeah. right. And St. Paul uses it to repeat it yeah. Yeah. Um, after Isaiah. I mean, it, it's, it's not, it, it's a, you can, again, if you have your, your, um, your concordance, Travis, pull it off your shelf there, you know, you'll find, you know, in, in your Strong's, you'll find a very long set of columns on Potter. Um, just about the book. Is that, is that, yeah, have I killed the entire conversation here? <laughs> uh, well, we wrapped it up with Harry. Um, and, and there we are. I, I, there was a comment a while back, and I'm probably out of the inside joke on this, and maybe they can – and this would kind of be a funny way to end. But, you know, John Noe was very helpful in getting us started on this, and I was told that if we don't talk about Dollish, John Noe will cry. From Harry Potter to Dollish. Anybody got anything to say about Dollish? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, John. (laughs) Sorry Sorry to John Noe. Um, Is it Ernie McMillan? What have we got here? Uh, (laughs) Oh, oh, wait. I think I know this. No, no. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) His his first name is John, isn't it? We got anybody? Is that that the character that that rolling sketch game for John Noe? Is that that, that that what I'm... Wondering about, yeah, I'll bet Somebody that's Somebody affirms that it's John. That's, I'll bet that's it. people say it's John. I remember reading that she said at some point that she was giving Dollish the John name because of that uh, John Noy. Oh, oh, that's well. what they're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, I mean, my guess. That, that's exactly curious. what they're saying in the chat now, yeah? Yeah. He's, he's the Aurora who is loyal to Fudge. Okay, and he gets he gets knocked down inside uh, the headmaster's office, as I recall. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, it's not even. I mean, he just he he becomes kind of a joke at how easy it is to like when yeah, when Dumbledore's right. talking to Snape, he says, "Confund Dollish, that'll be easy." You know, it, it was some, something to that effect. Um, yeah. Oh, I, I, not a very flattering to you, John. But you know what the heck? I mean, I, um, I, we all of us have got our names in there. I, I, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm um, happy that that Harry's father's named after me. So that's that's, that's good. That's good. I, you know, I, I I got a major character. I'm I'm happy. You got too. major, and, yeah. You. I got major, and, and apparently her middle name is 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 Jean, which which follow. Uh, that's right, John Valjean, and his mother's name was Jean. Um, and his father's name was Jean. Uh, Jean Valjean and Jean Valjean had Jean Valjean. And they also had a, a little girl whose name was Jean Valjean, uh, who, <laughs> who raised the orphan Jean Valjean. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, Jean, Jean Granger there in, in the will. Hmm. Curious. Oh, that was beginning to sound like Catch-22, major, 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 major. Right. Well, we, we did mention Humbert Humbert and uh, the other characters from Lolita or whatever. I guess that's, that's going to a dangerous territory or whatever, but uh, uh, I think Dickens, uh, Dickens uh, Nabokov, and Hugo are her main sources for names, and her at least in, in her choosing to do names the way that she has. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's chosen from the masters. Well, I'll tell you what, guys. I like this live thing. Uh, I like having feedback right up there on the chat screen, and I think we should do it again. You guys in for this again? Hey, I'm uh, in, sure. Yeah, this has been fun. So we, we will. We've we been able to sit here naked and while you've had to be all dressed up and do all this. Things. Yeah, and uh, stare at a screen while you guys talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Make faces at you. All right. Well, uh, thank thank you all your viewers for coming. Uh, I think mm-hmm, that this will mm-hmm. end up being uh, we what well, we did over an hour. So this will end up being two segments. Whether um, 
uh, it'll all end up on a Pottercast or not. It may end up to uh, to some extent on the Hogshead Pubcast as well, which is my own podcast, and I have the other pundits guys on sometimes there as well, just so you all know, if you want more uh, nerdy-type geek squad sort of stuff. And uh, <laughs> I'm not sure when the next live Pottercast is, but you know, stay tuned because... Uh, those three are always doing awesome stuff and uh, keep an eye out for that. But we were going to try to do this thing where we do all alternate to them. So they'll do one week, uh, the uh, the normal three, you know, Frack and John and Melissa, and then the off week we're supposed to go. We'll see how, how well that schedule really works out. Yeah, and, but, uh, and, and pundits, pundits in the listening audience, um, please tell us what you want us to talk about. We're always open for ideas. Just yeah. To- you want to discuss here yeah and there's a there's a facebook page just so you know that's a great place to submit requests because i try to check that regularly um so facebook.com slash potter pundits and then the almost never updated website potterpundits.com um, <laughs> where you can go and, and and put stuff on the on the comments there um and, and you can contact us on our websites as well so uh thank you for coming guys thanks for being here thanks for the good conversation you enjoyed it all right we are yeah, done yeah, thank you Thank you, Travis, for hooking all this up. The pundits are out. We'll see you guys next time.